0: Welcome to the New Books Network.-
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of New Books in Japanese Studies, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I am Jeannie Lee from the University of Arizona. Today our guest is Dr. M.W. Shores from the University of Sydney. His new book, The Comic Storytelling of Western Japan: Satire and Social Mobility in Kamigata Lakugo, was published by Cambridge University Press earlier this year. Uh, this book is a detailed study of the history of Kamigata Lakugo, which is a style of comic storytelling from Western Japan. In this book, Matt also provides uh, an English translation for five most classic Lakugo titles. So, welcome, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us today in the New Books in Japanese Studies channel.
0: Thanks, Jingyi. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: It must be a lot of fun to research about comic storytelling. So how did you first become interested in Lakugo, and what drove you to write about it?
0: Yeah, it's uh, I get that question a lot and uh, I've had a lot of practice answering it. So I have to, of course, start with um, my first professors at university. Um, I was lucky. I studied uh, first at Portland State University. Uh, I worked with Uh, Professor Larry Comins, who works on kabuki, and uh, he also um, teaches various traditional theater arts. Uh, He works on Mishima. He covers theater and literature, and he not only teaches it in the classroom, he brings us into the studio and uh, teaches us to perform. Uh, So I had a lot of experience. Uh, being on stage. Before university, I was into performing arts. And so that really made it for me. And so I found Japanese performing arts. And he uh, really directed me uh, to continue with the study of Japanese performing arts. After university, I went to Japan, got into an MA program, and uh, I found Rakugo there. So it was... um, quite a natural connection i I got the advice that i should find something that would make me stand out as a graduate student and eventually a candidate uh for universities who are looking for interesting people to hire um rakugo was one thing uh that i felt and others encouraged me to study it as well uh that i felt would help me stand out and sure enough um it is a unique subject
1: that's very interesting. Um, Do you remember what was the impression when you first watched or listened to a Lakugo performance?
0: Well, I didn't actually uh, even hear the word Nakugo until I had gone to Japan. Um, I'd studied a lot of different arts uh, at Portland State with uh, Professor Comins, but it was actually uh, once I'd gotten to Japan and got settled and uh, I had a a new advisor in MA, Morinaga Sensei, and his his program he had taught for many years, and actually he was ready to retire, and he only stayed on uh, for a couple more years to 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 take uh, me as a student, which which was quite an honor. And his process, his his approach to um, traditional Japanese entertainment, that was one of the subjects he taught along with uh, folk studies. Uh, the first year of MA he would tell a student, okay, I'm going to give you tickets to go out and see all kinds of theater, all kinds of different uh, performing arts, whether it's kabuki or uh, dance or um, uh, rituals at shrines. For example, the wakamiya on matsuri in Nara, uh, which is um, uh, linked to uh, the Kasuga shrine. Uh, We would go to bath houses, say on on a given Friday, uh, where they had a Kawachi Ondo performance. So the idea was for year one, get out and see, feel, um, internalize as much as possible. Then at the end of the year, you would choose one. He said you were to choose one. And he, he was great. I, he's no longer with us, but he was a very kind man and very generous with his time. Also, I imagine with, with money, uh, getting tickets for, for all of his students. So at the end of the year, um, I had to choose. And during that first year, I had uh, decided that I wanted to focus on one of two things. The first thing I was uh, interested in was bunraku, uh, ningyo joruri, but not necessarily what was going on up on stage right in front of you. I wasn't Well, of course, the puppets are great, and the the puppeteers are incredible. But I was drawn to what was going on over at stage left, over to the right of the audience, where you have the Gidayu and the Shamisen players kneeling. And I was interested, of course, in the Gidayu, but more so I was interested in the Shamisen player who would sit there with a poker face and be performing Shamisen just incredibly. And I wanted to play Shamisen, and I told that to Morinaga sensei, I want to play shamisen and I want to uh, research and write about it. He says, well, that's great, but a lot of people do that. And it's, it's, it's kind of a complementary art. So how about something else? I can find somebody to give you lessons. And that's what he did is he introduced me to um, a woman who was in her 80s and I studied kouta and shamisen with her for uh, uh, a few years. Then he said, okay, what else? What else are you interested in? And I said... Um, this thing you showed me called rakugo. And he looked at me and he said, well, okay, let's think of something else. And he immediately tried to talk me out of it. And, um, there was a reason for that. Uh, he said that, well, Japanese isn't your first language and, uh, Japanese people don't even usually study this at, at university or in grad school, um. My first impression, uh, I, I guess I can't blame him for that reaction because my first impression when I went to see it was, okay, I understood the first two to maybe five minutes. There's this very kind of formal introduction, thanking the audience for coming, talking about the weather, talking about current events a bit. But after that initial part, he got into the story proper, and I was completely lost. I had no idea what was going on. But I was enthralled. I was captivated because this one man who I'd met previously at a uh, at this outing we had, but I had no idea this was who he was. He was just a an older gentleman who now had a kimono on and was making this audience laugh and laugh and laugh. And I was probably more than 50% of the time, I was looking around me, looking at the audience, thinking, wow, they love this. This is incredible. And I feel a little bit uh, uh, betrayed, not betrayed, but I felt a little bit lost and disappointed because I'd studied, to that point, Japanese for probably five years. And I was Maybe a bit overconfident in my abilities to understand and get along in Japanese and maybe even make some jokes, but I couldn't understand Rakugo. So that's when I decided I've got to understand this. And I told Morinaga Sensei that, Morinaga Sensei that, and he told me to forget it, but I pushed.
1: Um, just by the way, do you remember whether that first Rakugo that you saw was it? Um, Tokyo style or Kamigata style?
0: Yeah, um, my school was in Nara and so um, we got on the train and we took the Kintetsu line into Osaka from Nara and uh, we went to uh, a theater, I think it was in Uehomachi. back in 2002, it was my first Rakugo performance. Uh, So it was Kamigata Rakugo and it happened to be a performance by uh katsura bunshi the fifth who i ended up uh, actually doing uh, an informal apprenticeship uh, thanks to an introduction uh, from morinaga sensei
1: that is so incredible um we'll talk more about the differences between um the eastern style and the western style later but i just wanted to share this story that well it's it's a bit similar in a way. So when I first, the first time I watched La Kugo on YouTube, um, unfortunately, was because, well, I asked my senpai when I was uh, doing my MA at Kyushu University, I asked them how I should practice my Japanese. And they said, oh, you should just watch La Google and try, um, try do shadowing after it. So I went home and I did, and I couldn't keep up with it. I went back to to the to, to to the to school and I asked them, "Well, it was so difficult. How do you all do it?" And they all they all laughed at me because they meant for it as a joke. Um, because oh, they meant it as a obviously, you are not supposed to. Uh, one does not simply learn Japanese using La because it's such a um, it's a form of art, as uh, your book has shown. So, um, yeah, I learned it the hard way, I suppose. Well,
0: well, it's interesting that your friends would would suggest that, but not so strange, perhaps, because there are books you can find in bookstores that say How to Become a Better Speaker, and it's written or co-authored by a rakugoka, a, a, a rakugo storyteller. So Japanese people themselves look at rakugoka, these storytellers, as um, savvy people who have great narrative chops. They're able to speak well, They're smart. Um, They have inside information about various artistic worlds, of course, the the culinary world, uh, you know, food features into Dakugo quite a bit. So um, all of the knowledge and ability to speak about that knowledge is what rakugoka are often given credit for today in Japan. So, uh, of course when you and I go to Japan, we're there to also improve our Japanese and take our knowledge about Japan to a deeper level through textual studies and other uh, uh, field work. Um, But I I think that what they uh, probably told, it was probably particularly funny to them because a lot of Japanese people think if you want to be a better speaker or be a more interesting person, go listen to rakugo. And emulate what you see on stage, and if you can copy that, you're on your way. Um, but I think it was funny to them because, you know, you and and I, we're international people, and how could we ever possibly? And of course, I mean this. You know, I'm saying this tongue in cheek. How could we non-Japanese people ever understand, let alone perform rakugo?
1: Yeah, and it's nice to see that there have been um, people like yourself who have proven them wrong. But so we for the past 10 minutes, we've been talking about rakugo, Um For our listeners who might not be familiar with this term, in a nutshell, what is lakugo?
0: Yeah, well, Dakugo is a one-person comic storytelling art. It has uh, been around, uh, as we know it, um, for... Now, the line is, you'll often hear um, when you have these Rakugo promotional events or these Rakugo cultural events that are often, you see them in America, in Australia, uh, traveling the world with sponsorship from, say, Japan's uh, Agency of Cultural Affairs and other organizations. Um, The line you often hear is, Rakugo is Japan's 400-year-old comic storytelling art. But that's a bit problematic. We have to be careful of something like that. Um, we like big round numbers when we talk about things, when we promote culture. Um, Rakugo as we know it, I would say, is maybe 150 years old. Uh, it's, it's a product of, I would say, the uh, the 19th century, and particularly the late 19th century, when there was a push to modernize Japan, but also its literature uh, it's the way it was uh, presented to the outside world. It was important to do away with things like um, uh, vulgarity um, playfulness and and show a more serious side a more uh, a, a, a greater depth a, a, a greater uh, psychological depth to not only literature but arts on stage as well uh, and and so what you see particularly, also it, it's not only in the Meiji period, but also in the earlier 19th century, you see a trend of rakugo becoming longer and gaining a certain depth. So it, it's quite complicated. We have to think of rakugo as a an early modern, particularly 19th century and modern art that developed in, in the early 20th century. Um, one other thing that, that people aren't always aware of is that Dakugo itself is a modern term. Rakugo uh, is an invention. It it was a word created, I, I think we date it to about the 1890s or so. Before the 1890s, there are any number of words that are used to um, refer to comic storytelling. Of course, otoshi banashi is one, karukuchi banashi and simply hanashi. Uh, these are all words, uh, mukashibanashi, uh, are all words used to refer to rakugo precursors. Um, but rakugo as an art, um, simply speaking, it's a one-person art. Historically, it was only men, uh, or at least we think, people often think that it's, it's primarily a male-focused, uh, male-centered art, but there's uh, documentation of women being involved Particularly in the Kamigata area, um, my research has shown that um, uh, women participated in these gatherings, uh, comic storytelling, comic storytelling competitions, uh, and in the Meiji period, uh, there are uh, newspaper articles in Tokyo as well as uh, Osaka. Women uh, were trying to. Uh, be successful in apprenticeships. There were women who were on the on the on the track to becoming uh, professional comic storytellers, but essentially they weren't ex- accepted. Um, they uh, it didn't work out for whatever reason. And it wasn't until 1974 that you have a woman who's accepted into a, an artistic school and finds success. And, and she's still um, in, and this is in Kamigata Rakugo. Her name is Tsuyu no Miyako. I think she was born in 1956, and uh, she's now a respected master. Rakugo has three main parts. It starts with uh, a warm-up segment called a makura. That's in, pill- in, in Japanese, that means pillow. Uh, you can think of the makura as something that softens the story, uh, helps the audience uh, ease in, feel comfortable. It's a it's a short period of time where the nakagoka, the storyteller, makes the audience feel comfortable, builds rapport. Um, also it's a time to um, elucidate any difficult subject matter that might come up. Maybe if there's some difficult wordplay in the story, the makura is a time for the storyteller to share that with the audience. So it's not like um, Japanese people automatically go in and listen to Rakugo and understand everything. They need a bit of translation too. They need a bit of interpretation as well. After the makura, you have the hondai, and that's the story proper. And these are um, the stories that many of them can be traced back to early modern times, to early story collections in the 17th century, and much earlier uh, to early uh, setsuwa anecdote collections as well. And then all stories, This is those were the first two parts, the makura, the hondai, and the third part is the ochi, and that's the quick punchline that comes at the end. Ochi is translated direct, uh, literally as drop. You essentially, or the storyteller, pulls the carpet out from under the audience, and it makes them think, or it makes them groan, it makes them laugh, um, but it quickly and abruptly brings the... Story to an end, but on a light note.
1: It's quite amazing that right now or until now Lakugo has de- developed into such a there's a format to it. And now within Lakugo um, within this bigger genre, your book deals with uh, the Lakugo the, the from Western Japan specifically. So I assume there must be an Eastern J- J- Japan style. Um, what are the differences between them?
0: Yeah, that that's a great question, and really, this was the reason that that my book had to be written. Um, when I was, an, well, when I was a grad student in in Nara at Tezukiyama University, um, I received a few books on rakugo from my from my supervisor, but they were all in Japanese, and and we know what it's like to read through Japanese uh, books from beginning to end, scanning them for things we might be able to use for our research. It we can manage it, but it takes a lot of time. So the first thing we do is like, what is there in English on Dakugo that I can help, you know, find my footing with? And um I kind of stumbled into the master's program at Tezukayama University. Um, I always like to share with students that I wasn't set on on course by nature to become a professor at a university. I come from a family that doesn't have any academics. I was the first person in my family to go to university. And so when I ended up in Japan and it was suggested to me by my professor there that I get a master's degree, I thought, well, wow, okay, great, let's do it, sign me up. What are we gonna study? And so there I was, and once I was in the MA program, I thought, okay, now I need to do some research. He's given me some books. Is there anything on English that I can study? And so what I found, I didn't know of all the databases. I didn't know how to look up PhD dissertations. I didn't know how to do that library research yet. But I found a book, and I thought it was just what I needed. I I thought, maybe this is all I need. And it was Morioka and Sasaki's book uh, that they published uh, with the uh, Council of East Asian Studies at Harvard in 1990. That's Rakugo, the uh, Popular Narrative Art of Japan. And it is a thick book. It's I think it's 400 or 500 pages, and it's comprehensive. It, it talks about history. It talks about pre-modern Japan. Before early modern times, it really connects Rakugo to earlier Buddhist storytelling traditions. And I read through it, and and as I read through this book, I was getting to know Kamigata Rakugo, not only by going and listening to Kamigata Rakugo, but also having this informal apprenticeship. I would be spending time with Katsura Bunshi V and going to his shows, spending time in his dressing room, serving him tea, doing exactly what he told me, and following the directions of his pupils that were my seniors. And um, I I started realizing that, the book, the the rakugo that Morioke and Sasaki write about isn't the rakugo that I'm studying right now. It isn't what I'm supposed to be researching. And there are a, a, a couple bits, a couple of sections in their book that deal with kamigata rakugo, but it was a bit misguided. It was written from a perspective of the Tokyo scholar. It it was quite Tokyo centric uh, in its approach. And so I started taking notes. Um, I from that point, from 2002 on, I, I realized there needs to be something corrected here. There needs to be something written about the Kamigata tradition.
1: So, as a as a as a to um, be literary historian of the the 19th century, I'm familiar with this notion of um, that. Um, so the Edo area, the Tokyo, the now Tokyo area, was the more the fancy, the chic area. Whereas uh, all down in the west, uh, Osaka, Kyoto area, especially Osaka, because of how commercialism was developing faster there, um, everything had more of a merchant taste to it. That is to say, from the perspective of Tokyo people or Edo people. Perhaps kamigata represented to them vulgarity. Um, now, if lakugo um, originated from around that same period, the 19th century, was were those characteristics also reflected in kamigata lakugo back then and nowadays as well?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, and and the issue of the issue of vulgarity. Um, that comes up quite a bit, um, and uh, you know, I, I think if you asked uh, a, a kamigata rakugo storyteller about the vulgarity issue, they would probably say, "Yeah, well, maybe there is compared to um, Tokyo or other arts." But that's one reason I, I, I started the book um, w- with a quote, and I'll just I'll just read that here, if that's okay, because since rakugo started uh, being written about, uh, in, you know, in the Meiji period by Tokyo critics, Tokyo scholars, there's always been a very, um, harsh tone. Uh, Tokyo scholars, critics were very quick to point out a vulgarity and, and I, I actually open the introduction with this. If, if I can just read that, this is by, um, the Japanese dramatist and critic, uh, N Taro. He was, um, he lived 1892 to 1934, but here's what he said in, this was in uh, Bunge Krabu, uh, the literary magazine. On the whole, Osaka's comic storytellers are, in a word from that city, Mosari, boorish. They're aburakoku, importunate, and shitskoi, obstinate. They use polite language poorly and carry on with vulgar, indecent topics from beginning to end their stories are as good as cesspools on top of this most have voices that are kambashteimas awfully high pitched when a shop boy or the like appears in a story it sounds like a monkey getting its liver ripped out Ugh. so as as you can see uh, there there was some harsh criticism and this was always written from the Tokyo, the Tokyo scholar or the, the uh, Tokyo uh, intellectual point of view, there was a certain um, arrogance and tone that they had that um, was always condescending towards uh, kamigata daku, but also other kamigata arts as well. So when we when we hear the the, the the issue of vulgarity come up, we need to be a bit careful about that because how did um, audiences in kamigata in Osaka receive this material? Well, they might argue that this is actually showing a more earthy side of humans and it's more realistic and that's what we're going after. We're, we're not putting on a facade, we're not putting on a front or a show. We like to see humans as they really are and humans, guess what? They do fart and they do burp and they do uh, have dark thoughts from time to time. And it's it's more realistic to to show these things. Now, as as far as um, the commercialism uh, which you you mentioned earlier, um, the the various um, uh, characteristics linked to kamigata, yeah, there is a, a a certain commercialism that finds its way into kamigata Dakugo and other kamigata arts. There's a certain openness. Um, there's a lot of uh, words we might use to describe uh, kamigata merchants and um, uh, artisans, uh, the the Chonin class, right? Cheerful, hardworking, detailed, service oriented, frugal, direct, good humored, and the list goes on. Um, when we uh, use these these words to describe things, of course, there's always a, another view. Uh, and office uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train. I thought there, but um, so there there are. Uh, a number of words that are used to describe um, kamigata and kamigata arts um, vulgarity comes in commercialism um, openness and and a number of others uh, and there there are um, certain differences between between the two arts and um, now there's kamigata dakugo and edo dakugo um, today they're re- commonly referred to as kamigata dakugo, tokyo dakugo but there were other places where uh, um, rakugo precursors were performed in the early modern period. Um, Nagoya, there were there were storytellers there, uh, and any any um, uh, area that you had a relatively large population, you had performers, all kinds of um, acts, uh, spectacles, freak shows. You know these mise mono, and this is what rakugo grew out of um it's it was originally a street art and uh the osaka and kyoto uh urban centers they had great street art scenes uh at, at shrines and temples and and and, and entertainment districts just as, as as edo had its own entertainment districts right and so the the social milieu uh, were quite different, and in Osaka, there wasn't a, a necessity, there wasn't a requirement for people to kind of keep it down or watch what they said. Um, for uh, the for most of the early modern era, you have kamigata uh, performers, not only storytellers, but many other performers uh, performing outdoors in open air. Uh, stalls and um, temples and shrines but in 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 the case of Edo you had um, a population that was lar- largely made up of the warrior class and so you had the need to kind of take things um, indoors or, or keep it quiet and and that that is the case with Edo uh, Tokyo Dakugo. it developed um, more um, indoors as as a parlor art uh and it uh, was was quite more exclusive, whereas kamigata dango was was far more inclusive. And by inclusive, I mean in kamigata, participation from the the general public was regularly invited, and uh, women participated as well. And there, are, uh, we we see illustrations even in books of of men and women gathering um, to have these merry, uh, you know parties where they they eat and drink and write and share perform stories so um there are there are many reasons um the arts are different and yeah we can get um easily caught up in kamigata is a and edo is b but there's a lot of um lines that um can be and should be blurred i think too
1: and could you perhaps talk more about the uh, differences, distinctions between Kamigata Rakugo and Tokyo Lakugo in modern times?
0: Yeah, thanks for asking that question. Um, in the book, um, I talk about two uh, main aspects uh, of one is performance and one is content. Um, Some distinguishing elements in Kamigata Dakugo are immediately noticeable on the surface, um, but most are not. So you have to delve into the art to really get into it. So let's talk about the two aspects. First, let's talk about performance. OK, there are three uh, key elements uh, of performance, and the first one is is pretty simple. basic uh, stage properties all dakago used as two props the fan and the hand towel um, but in kamigata dakago they use something that um, isn't used in tokyo dakago and that is the kendai that's a small table or a podium kobyoshi small wooden clappers the Hizakakushi, the leg knee concealer um, it's 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 uh pretty easy to um, see why these are used if you study a little bit of the history Kamigata rakugo or its cursors, uh, precursors rather, were performed alongside koshaku. Today, we refer to koshaku as kodan. And kodan uses the table and um, they uh, strike the table to keep rhythm and create drama. Um, so a lot of stories in Kamigata rakugo today have to be performed with this small table and the clappers, the, um, the small wooden screen that's set out in front. Um, so if you see that in Dakugo, it's pretty. Uh, it's, it's a good way to uh, see that it's a kamigata story. More importantly, let's talk about the other uh, key elements. First is kamigata hade, and that's an adjective in Japanese, and uh, it's music. So first hade, um, depending on the context, hade can mean flamboyant, gaudy, loquacious, loud, showy, vibrant, colorful, on and on. Um, hade is a key feature of kamigata rakugo. And it's Hade because it comes with numerous shows within the show. Um, There are uh, many different opportunities for performers to show their uh, narrative chops and other special skills, whether it be their singing, dancing, making sound effects, impersonating, pantomiming, and other things. Um, Kamigata Rakugo, um, the idea is to give audiences more for their money. Um, And this stands out as different from Tokyo Rakugo. Um, which isn't without shows within the show, but um, Tokyo Dakugo places a higher value on unadorned storytelling. Let's talk about the music. Um, arguably, music is, is one of the key features of Kamigata Rakugo. Um, The music of Kamigata Dakugo is called yosebayashi. Um, instruments used in uh, Kamigata Dakugo are common to those used in kabuki, Um, Hayashi music has drums, bells, flutes, and from early modern times, shamisen was included. Um, There are a number of stories in Tokyo that do incorporate music, but they really do pale in comparison to those in Kamigata. Okay, not every Kamigata story comes with music, but many more do. Um, Why is this? Well, it has to do with the Kamigata milieu. Um, Kamigata storytelling was influenced by Kamigata kabuki, um, and uh, as we know uh, it still kamigata kabuki today it's still outstandingly musical uh, music adds festivity and again um, more bang for the buck okay um, music is central to kamigata dakugo shows from beginning to end you have drum pieces that open the doors uh, begin and end intermission and send out the audience um, there's entrance music and Uh, exit music. There's something called Hamemono, which are sound effects and background music. And um, Tokyo does have some of these things, but um, music is not a central feature of Tokyo Rakugo. Okay. Now, um, the third aspect of performance is story length. In short, Kamigata Rakugo stories are longer than Tokyo uh, Rakugo stories. And it's easy to compare because um, the same stories, and I I say that... um, Uh, I guess with with air quotes, um, same stories, uh, told in both repertoires, right? Um, You had a lot of stories that were imported to Tokyo from um, Kamigata in the 1920s, 30s, uh, and a lot was cut from those stories. Um, Now, in the early 19th century, comic storytelling grew in length, and this picked up as the uh, 20th century approach, and this was especially so in Osaka. So as one might expect, longer stories give audiences more for their money, but quality is is just as important as quantity. Um, so the shows within the show add more, but also important in Kamigata Dakugo is the personal attention that uh, performers give to audiences through their asides. That is, once the story proper begins in Kamigata Dakugo, there are a lot of opportunities uh, where uh, for... Um, uh, storytellers to break that theatrical fourth wall and audiences have come to expect and appreciate that. So that's the aspects of, uh, of, of performance. Now, the other important part of, uh, Kamigata dakugo that makes it stand out from Tokyo Dakugo is its aspects of content. And now I, I I think there are four key elements and perhaps the most important key element of content is that Kamigata Dakugo stories are merchant centered. Okay, there are far more depictions in Kamigata rakugo than Tokyo rakugo of the merchant world. This has to do with um, demographics of, of Osaka. There were certainly people from every class in Osaka during the early modern period. They, they hailed from the, the spectrum of Shino kosho, the um, um, warrior, farmer, uh, artisan, merchant uh, classes. But Osaka was clearly dominated by the lowest class, that is, the shōnin or akindo, the merchants. Okay, so merchant uh, culture and values permeated Osaka, and it, and and these found their way into various kamigata arts, uh, not least of all comic storytelling. Um, as I write in the book, uh, the merchant system began crumbling in the 19th century, and this did impact the way merchants or their purported values were portrayed in stories, okay? Now, not all uh, Kamigata Rakugo stories necessarily um, fit into this category of of merchant story. Uh, You can't really say that all stories are merchant stories, but even stories that don't fall neatly into that category can be um, considered uh, um, uh, to be kind of uh, uh, merchant-informed, it's really hard to consider Kamigata Rakugo stories without the backdrop of merchant society in mind, okay? Next, after merchant-centeredness, uh, you have realism. R- realism is a very important part of Dakugo in general. Of course, Dakugo is humorous and it can be absurd, but realism is also a key feature. This is especially so in Kamigata Rakugo. Um, kamigata Dakugo showcases exceptional realism, and this is arguably thanks to osaka's socio-cultural milieu uh, which prized and fostered meticulous detail Um, kamigata arts such as kabuki ningyo joruri that's puppet theater um have been lauded for their realism as has uh ukiyo and other arts um i think we can say that this extends to kamigata dakugo um uh Next, uh, blurred social boundaries and blurred hierarchies is is an important aspect of Kamigata stories. Um, Social boundaries and hierarchies are are played down, though they're not completely absent. Um, This reflects a reality in traditional Osaka society. Um, uh, Merchant house employees, uh, that's the hokonin uh, in stories, uh, their uh, relationships with employees, uh, other employees, their relationships with family members, uh, these uh, all feature in stories, but it it turns out that compared to tokyo Dakugo, the hierarchies are uh a bit blurred they're a bit whitewashed, and this is just a reflection of of society so we can take this to to be an aspect of of realism too finally, and this is important too um Kamiga has more prominent female characters, okay, and I present in the first chapter um uh, Kamigata and Osaka, and I discuss um, Osaka society and Osaka identity. And it's clear from uh, early modern times that merchant women played a very prominent role in their homes and communities. Um, these, uh, like all women uh, in 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 Kamigata primarily Osaka were uh, officially subordinate to their husbands, but in reality, this wasn't necessarily the case. They were in positions of relative power. They had a hand in operating family businesses, in hiring and supervising house employees. They were highly visible. And this is often depicted on stage and page. And it's certainly um, the case in Kamigata Rakugo. Self-reliant, robust women are more prevalent in Kamigata Rakugo than Tokyo Rakugo. And this is um, an important aspect uh, of, of the uh, content. Um, so with that, just to summarize again, Kamigata Rakugo has key aspects of performance and content that make it stand out from Tokyo Rakugo.
1: That is uh, very interesting. Um, in, the, in the book, you also mentioned that there is there another comic narrative art form called manzai, which differs from lakugo, and you also talk about their influences on each other as well as distinctions. Could you talk more about this aspect?
0: Yeah. Um, in modern times, Osaka has come to be known as the city of manzai or the city of Owarai. And anybody who uh, travels to Japan or, or enjoys Japanese pop culture, watching Japanese TV, they're bound to come across bangumi, right? These uh, comic variety uh, TV shows. And manzai artists are often at the center of these shows or they're the hosts of these shows. Um, manzai itself is a modern art. It, um, it developed in the early uh, 20th century And it really started picking up once um, the uh, conglomerate, the the entertainment agency, Yoshimoto, was formed in um, the 1910s. I think it was 1912 when they got their start. And they made um, the art of manzai their flagship. Uh, And they uh, also worked with rakugo performers in in the Kansai area. Uh, But they gradually started phasing out uh performers and promoted manzai uh performers the arts um I, i've i've heard many times and you've probably heard yourself too jingy that um the the kamigata variety of dakugo is very manzai like and this is um a, an issue i take up in the book and and a lot of um uh, uh, kamigata dakugo storytellers are at pains to uh set the story straight that no um, you can't really compare these two arts and rakugo is in no way a product of manzai because for one they're completely different arts so you have manzai it's a two person stand up comedy routine where where you create new material and the material always has to be new and fresh and innovative whereas rakugo is a densho geno that's a orally transmitted art and it's passed down from master to pupil, generation to generation. Now, um, that said, Kamigata Dakugo, just like Dakugo in Tokyo, um, there are no formal scripts. Uh, there are stories that are written down in, in, in Tokyo early on in the Meiji period. You had scholars putting Tokyo Dakugo into anthologies, and Kamigata Dakugo eventually did make its way into an in into an anthology in nineteen eighty. Um, but there are no authoritative or uh sanctioned official scripts. That is the language constantly changes in Rakugo. It has to stay modern. Now if, if storytellers narrated their stories with Edo uh language as as just as pe- people spoke, say, in you know, the 1750s, it wouldn't be intelligible to many people today, right? That's why you and I, when we study Edo period texts, we have to get out our jidai-betsu, right? Our, our, our periodical dictionaries and look up um, what certain words meant in Edo because those words probably meant something different during the medieval period, during you know earlier times. Um, so rakugo is constantly changing. And that means it may pick up, um, you know, uh, it may be influenced by other things. Kamigata Dakugu is definitely influenced by Kabuki, by other arts. Um, and it it perhaps did, uh, you know, some performers, with the hope of gaining more fans, a larger audience, perhaps some performers did take up aspects of manzai just because it seemed like, wow, I. Look at their audience compared to ours. We need more people, but um, you, the 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 flip side of the coin is also um, there too. You have uh, people who are eager to point out that well, Manzai is is a product of rakugo, on top of other many other performing arts, including Western style comedy, slapstick, um, Three Stooges, Abbott Costello, Laurel and Hardy. Those those early uh, comic duos and trios, those were also a huge influence on manzai. Um, but it's it's wrong to consider uh, uh Raku, kamigata Raku a product of manzai. Uh, they do, however, uh, they are related. Uh, one my my the master I worked with in Osaka after Bunshi was um Hayashiya Some Madru IV, and he calls Kamigata Raku-go manzai's mother um so it's you know it's it's a uh, it's a it's a child of of Naku, and that's an interesting way of looking at it um but they are both products of osaka of of the kansai area and in that um they are they're naturally related because they share the same audiences
1: that's actually one thing i did not know until i read your book that um like uh, each title, they can have different versions. So I read. I actually started reading um, the first translation in your in your book, and I got a bit confused. So I went to YouTube and found a video. Um, it was. I think it was a performance by uh, Katsura Bunshi, the sixth. But uh, his uh, I I couldn't understand. Because there were so many use of dialect, and the way he talked wasn't very uh, clear from the video, so I found another one by uh, Katsura Shidaku. Mm-hmm. But they were different. The, the The story was the same story, but the way they presented it, the 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 wording they used w- was completely different. So how? Um, so in this book, you provided uh, the translation for five of the most classic uh, Lakugo titles. How did you choose between the different versions? And one other question I think is the most important one is how did you deal with all the dialect used in Kamigata Lakugo? Because my, I assume uh, based on my uh, little understanding of from watching the the performance was that the use of dialect co- also constitutes as a very important part of the 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 laughter. It, it's in a way, perhaps it's what made it funny, or what is that also a very uh, Tokyo uh, centric way of understanding it?
0: Yeah. Um, well, um, those those are great questions. Um, I'll start with uh, the the different versions. Um, the story um, which uh, story are you referring to Kuchi Iria, the first yes uh, the
1: first one
0: mm-hmm. Yeah I have a feeling that that probably wasn't um, uh, Katsura Bunshi the sixth but his master Katsurabunshi the fifth um, and because uh, Katsurabunshi the sixth he's more of a, a shinsaku, a, a, a new uh, rakugo type of guy but um, he does have the same name. Um, they're very easy to confuse, but um, very different um, styles. Uh, but the same uh, artistic school, however. Uh, and then Shijaku, of course, he uh, is unfortunately also no longer with us. He had a very different style. I don't think you can say anybody is quite like Shijaku. He, to this day, I think, um, well, he passed in, I think it was 1999. And he continues to be uh, the, the best-selling Rakuoka uh, his, his CDs and DVDs sell. He's got all kinds of Dakugo <laughs> that just have tons of views on YouTube and other streaming services like um, uh, Niko Niko. Um, so yeah, their styles are obviously going to be very different. But another important reason that Katsura Bunshi V and Katsura Shijaku styles are so different is because uh, they uh, are from two different um, lines. Now they both have the, um, the 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 family name Katsura, um, but there are um, a few different um, lines of the Katsura, and they all, if you trace them back to um, the early 1800s, they will eventually end up with um, end up at uh, a man by the name of Katsura Bunji the first, and even Tokyo uh, storytellers who use the family name Katsura. They also trace their lineage to this Osaka storyteller, Katsura Bunji I. Um, but today, um, there are um, several different Katsura lines, and um, Shijaku was a student of uh, Katsura Beicho III, uh, who was the only Kamigata Raku Goka storyteller ever to be um, uh, designated a so-called living national treasure he but he performs it quite differently than his master did. He's very eccentric. He you know, the rule in Dakugo is you kneel down on a on a cushion on the Zabuton and you, you do all of your actions and you stay there and you don't stand up, you don't move. Uh, but Shijaku, he would sometimes roll off of the cushion, he would fly up off of it and he was very animated and because there are so many gestures and great animated facial expressions People found it very easy to follow his stories and just, um, I guess, uh, sink right into everything he said. Um, but uh, Bunshi the fifth, on the other hand, he was um, a, a, a tradition, uh, you know, a, a strict traditionalist in many ways. He was more into preserving the art as opposed to perpetuating it. Um, he uh, adhered to um, his master's. A way of of narrating and felt that if he didn't uphold a high standard of the way he was taught, the way rakugo was transmitted to him, he would be doing the art a disservice. Shijako, on the other hand, while he did perform many, uh, well, primarily uh, classic uh, rakugo stories, he also did a lot of work with new rakugo stories, so their styles would naturally differ. Um Now, onto the question of dialect, that's a great question. Um, When I first started uh, working on my PhD at the University of Hawaii uh, in 2007, um, I, I spoke to my dissertation chair and people who would be on my dissertation committee. And um, there were some differing opinions. And actually the road to Hawaii was quite interesting. I, as, as you probably did yourself, you go to a number of graduate schools, you talk to a number of potential advisors. Most of the advisors I initially talked to at PhD programs, they were primarily interested in seeing my project through as a literary study or keeping it highly theoretical. But me, with my performing arts background, I wanted to have some kind of um, uh, practice involved. I wanted some kind of performative side to my study. Um, I wanted to become a participant uh, observer. And uh, there weren't a lot of places who would allow that. But Hawaii, with its uh, PhD program in Asian theater, the only one in America that I know of, I was advised, I got great advice to go to Hawaii because they have that theater program. But whatever you do, don't do theater for your PhD. And that broke my heart because uh, I wanted to do theater. And the, and the argument was is that it would be hard to find a job as a professor, um, and literature would be more marketable as, as a degree. But I snuck away from the literature department every chance I I could get to go study with Julie Ietsi and, and 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 her students, of course. Um, but it was a great, great program um, East Asian languages and literatures and the theater program at Hawaii. Now dialect, one of my professors at Hawaii said, "Well, dialect shouldn't be an issue in your study because it's it's the language they speak, and it's it's only." Like you were saying, is this a, a Tokyo-centric way of looking at it? Um, well, how do, how do I speak? Well, I, I was born and raised in Oregon. My dad is from Minnesota, so I have kind of a Midwestern. Uh, my grandma, North Dakota, so sometimes I have these longer O's when I talk. Now, when we're at home, we don't think so much of that, but when people point out you have an accent or you have a dialect, that becomes an issue. So one professor said, dialect shouldn't be a, a, a concern in your study. Another professor said, well, no, uh, Kansai dialect has a lot to do with culture and identity, so you absolutely do have to incorporate it into it. Um, Now, as a student who was going to Japan for research, I'd studied, uh, I started studying with Eleanor Jordan and Mari Noda's book, Japanese, the Spoken Language, back in 1996, and I was one of the students who liked it. And uh, uh, then I studied with other books, and... All of my uh, Japanese training before I went to the Kansai area was in standard Japanese. So when I went to Japan and I eventually started studying kamigata dakugo dialect, had to be um, part of my studies. I had to master kamigata dialect. And so being with friends and teachers and kamigata dakugo storytellers, I was fully immersed in it, but I had a huge learning curve and I had to really get up to speed really fast. Um, Now, in my translations, how do I deal with it? Well, um, when Kamigata Dakugo storytellers perform to their own local audiences, local audiences are not hearing a dialect. They're hearing people just like them. They're hearing uh, people on the street. They're hearing people in the home. They're hearing people like their relatives. So... When I translate Kamigata uh, language, Kansai dialect, I don't, say for example, give um, uh, Raku characters a southern drawl to point out that they have a dialect, or I don't give them, um, now I may, uh, depending on the the perceived level of education of a character, I may give them a a different diction or have them use different uh, vocabulary, um, but I don't think that when, when translating, dialect comes into play unless you have characters who are um, coming into a scene from different locations. For example, in some stories, you have people from Edo, like an Edoko comes into contact with somebody from Kyoto or and they themselves make an, a, a deal, make a, a big deal of their different accents. And then I may do something. Um, and if it's a kamigata story usually the person that's made fun of is the person from edo and not the person from kamigata and so they will be the ones that are made to look more ridiculous but everybody or nearly everybody in kamigata stories are meant to be lighthearted and and playful if not ridiculous
1: wow that is such an enlightening point I, to 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 that that the audience never perceived it as a dialect it's uh... Now that you've pointed out, it seems just so obvious, but I can't believe I never thought of it before. Um, well, I guess and- I could I could
0: add to that. Of course, audiences come from everywhere. You may have an uh, uh, somebody in a in an Osaka, you'll say that's a, a Nagoya hall, um, who comes up from say Kyushu or is visiting from Nagoya or from Tokyo or comes down from Hokkaido today. Um, but originally speaking, uh, especially when people um, didn't travel. As much as they do today, uh, you I think dialect certainly played less of a role uh, in uh, as a smaller part. Is, uh, um, yeah, I, I think that it wasn't. Well, as I, as I said earlier, <laughs> earlier, yeah.
1: Okay, so we've talked a lot about the social mobility aspect of Kamigata got Google. Now I want to turn to the satire part because. Um, in your book, you kind of mentioned that some of the contents in the Lakugo, in in modern-day Lakugo, might be conceived by certain um, groups of audience as offensive or uh, to use a modern term, politically incorrect. But then it's um, also because they haven't gone to the end of their story, they haven't gone to the, the ochi, the job part, and that like you mentioned in the book, um, a lot of the times when when a, a minor character is portrayed, somehow they always had this way to defend themselves, to stand up for themselves. Or like, for example, in this first translation work of yours, Kutileya, in which um, men plan, planned on plotting to uh Breaking into a girl's a young girl's room in the middle of the night they didn't succeed the the first half of the uh performance when i watched that i thought oh this is kind of offensive to females but in the end it wasn't really the point of the whole performance so i was wondering if you can talk more about this aspect
0: yeah those are great questions um yeah to start out um thank you for mentioning. Um, the, the social mobility again and the satire. I'll get to satire in just a second. The social mobility part, um, you know, uh, I think a, a, an alternate title for the book could also be uh, satire and social immobility um, because uh, merchants in, in uh, early modern, uh, particularly Kamigata, Osaka, they were essentially promised, um, upward movements uh, through apprenticeship. They uh, started out as young apprentices, could move up through the ranks, become uh, the chief clerk of a house, and then eventually, uh, if they worked hard and were lucky, they could get their own branch and uh, find um, success and um, you know economic success that way. Um, but it turned out uh, that the merchant system collapsed, and a lot of these uh, people who had put in many years of their life, in, in, in many cases, uh, ended up not getting that return. Uh, so they were kind of stuck. They were capped in, so to speak. Um, now, as uh, far as the, the political uh, incorrectness, as we know, as we study uh, early modern literature and other early modern arts, what is appropriate and what is politi- politically correct changes over time. Right. Um, So when we uh, read or watch or listen to a story that has a yobai scene, that's a a night crawl, or as you explained, uh, a a man sneaking into uh, or breaking into the the room of a woman, uh, it raises all kinds of red flags. What is going on here? This is not okay. Um, That's one reason I, I wrote in the introduction to that story, a bit about the history of these yobai, these so-called night crawls. These were um, the ways that men, but also women uh, in the past, uh, uh, made uh, and found their um, uh, sexual liaisons, uh, also a marriage partner. So um, uh, quite a bit has been written about um, Japanese love and sex in the past. And now today when we when we hear about a, a man breaking into a woman's room or vice versa, a woman breaking into a man's room, we're thinking, okay, what's going on here? And is this appropriate? Of course it's not appropriate today. Um, but when we think about this in its historical context, uh, when was this story uh, originally composed? When is it set? Um, most rakugo stories are set in the Meiji period or towards the end of the Edo period. And so to those audiences, to contemporary audiences, a Yobai would be quite a natural thing. Now, did this go on in every town, in every village? Maybe no, but um, in many places, this was the norm. I, for somebody to find their marriage partner, okay, I'm going to go and call on this woman. We, we see these scenes... Um, as far back as, say, the tale of Genji as well. Um, it was a part of the culture. Now, was it appropriate? Was was, was it, an, was did these players, did these actors have equal power bases? Maybe sometimes, um, often not. Um, but in this case, um, audiences, and particularly original audiences, would be aware of the fact that this is how this um, 40-year-old man, uh is to look after his marriage uh to find a marriage partner he was going to sneak into um the the room of this newly hired help she was hired earlier in the day usually the orders were from the 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 wife of the house the merchant wife to uh hire an ugly woman because mostly uh living and working in the merchant houses were men, and if there was a beautiful woman who came, they wouldn't be able to focus on their work. So it was the wife's orders to always hire not-so-great-looking women, whatever those were. But on that particular day, the Banto, he was aware that soon he may be given his own branch, and to start his own branch, he also needs a good partner, a solid partner, a merchant wife, somebody who can look after the house, have children, but also help with the business. And so this was the beginning of that liaison, that partnership. Um, and that's why I write, I, I offer, a, I guess um, the word is is a trigger warning, because I know that to a lot of people today, the the notion of somebody sneaking in without permission is like, that's a big no-no. Um, but again, in its um, uh, social and historical context, this is what's going on. There's a lot of material that gets worked out of Nakugo people with disabilities featured in rakugo or Dakugo um, of the past and rakugo precursors people with disabilities were made fun of physical disformities they were made fun of just like misemono uh freak shows um you had somebody say with a, with a growth uh on their on their face or or a hunchback they made fun of these people and there were some stories in Dakugo, and these eventually uh have made their way out of rakugo because they weren't deemed politically correct, they were deemed um, um, uh, hurtful rather. And it may be the case that maybe 20, 50, 100 years from now, maybe Kuchi idea will do away with this yobai scene. It's at the center of the story. And it it it's a scene that features music, background music. Um, so that's what storytellers will have to decide because there are not official scripts. Um, Dakugoka can and do change anything they need to in order to retain their audiences. Let's keep in mind too that Dakugo characters never mean any harm. Okay? Never. And the 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 intention of Dakugo, and, and I, I, I say Dakugo just because it's easier than saying Kamigata Dakugo, it's it's okay to think of Dakugo all dakugo as one art as long as we're cognizant of the fact that there are two variants there are two traditions that developed on very different trajectories kamigata and when we say kamigata i mean mainly osaka was a very different place in the early modern era than edo was right so as long as we're cognizant of the fact there are two dakugos that's fine but dakugo in general never means any harm And any rakugo character who does mean any real harm or does happen to hurt somebody, by the end of the story, they're shown out. They're punished. They are held accountable for their actions. So um, some people like to say that the raku of rakugo, although it means to drop, it's that ochi, right? That punchline is what's referred to. But some people like to say that rakugo is also all about making people feel raku that means making people feel at ease letting them forget their troubles for an hour or so and um yeah rakugu is all about making people feel good
1: that is such a great point and i really appreciate that you make it uh clear in the book that these satire these um characters making fun of other characters they are their time particular and they should always be read within its own context instead of our modern-day context. Uh, I think that, yeah, that's a really nice thing that you mentioned in the book.
0: But if you don't like it, if you are not happy with it, and I'm not happy with it, and audiences are not happy with it, Rakugoka will change the stories over time. Um, it, It will happen because this is a storytelling art that needs to be sold it's not subsidized by the government. Uh, it, it, it doesn't receive any special help. It's still a a very grassroots, uh, approach to, uh, a performing art. And so, um, yeah, if, if something is eventually deemed inappropriate or distasteful, it will get worked out of RAKUGO.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Now moving towards the end of our conversation today, um, I have to ask my always uh, big question. So you begin with the book by talking about uh, sort of the the impact on, of COVID, of this pandemic on Lakugo performance because it's a traditionally, it, it relies on in-person um, interaction. It's, it's an in-person performance, but now uh, we're one year and a half into the pandemic. We are seeing um, Lakugo performances that are kind of, we can have online ones um, and they're taking into new elements as well. So do you think um, this these uh, influences on Rakugo from, from COVID, from the pandemic, um, from the difficult situation to balance in-person events and public health, um, these changes that have been made will they last in Lakugo performance? Do you think in the future, Lakugo will have to adjust further to adapt more into, um, I guess, our modern life?
0: Yeah, that's that's a great question. And just like many uh, performing arts around the world, Lakugo was hit hard by COVID-19. Um, it's certainly today, Uh, performing art. It's one that's performed in dedicated theaters, dedicated halls. Um, I I studied Nakago as a performing art, and I studied it, researched it as literature. I I take a historical approach. So I want people to keep in mind that while Nakago is a performing art, it's a storytelling art, it is also... Tightly uh, connected to Japanese literary traditions, particularly those of the early modern period, rakugo is literature, and there, are, there's an interesting conversation we could have another time about rakugo's um, links to uh, literature, including the the modern Japanese novel, which um, people have written about. Um, but today, most people in Japan, and as more people outside of Japan get to know Rakugo, they see it as a comic storytelling art that's performed on stage. And it is indeed. So when COVID um, came to our doorsteps uh, and closed our, um, our theaters and our our restaurants and made the, the the hit that it did, it hit storytellers as well. And so what did they do? They did what a lot of other performers uh, around the world did is is they, uh, took their arts online. So uh, you already have many Kamigata Dakugo storytellers on Twitter. They have social media accounts, but you, you saw a, a, a rise in performers making YouTube channels and uh, streaming their Dakugo online. They, um, uh, some of them put up uh, previous recorded, previously recorded Dakugo, some of them, streamed Rakugo live. There were some, uh, a few, who had a live streams where they would sit down and have a beer with the audience and and talk about uh, things that Rakugo storytellers talk about in dressing rooms together or they talk about different episodes that usually we wouldn't get to hear about. The idea was promoting Rakugo, putting it into people's living rooms because they weren't able to get to the Yosei, the Rakugo hall, right? And that's interesting because the yose the rakugo hall is designed and has always been thought of as kind of an extension of the japanese house the extension of the japanese living room at a time when people didn't have TVs or radios to get their entertainment people i mean regular people like you and me uh, who can't afford to go see kabuki every day cuz kabuki used to be extremely expensive and not and typical people couldn't go see it but you would have people uh, go to uh, the yose to to listen to rakugo for their for their entertainment, and that was considered an extension of the living room. That was their their entertainment. So now with COVID, you have comic storytellers entering the living rooms and bedrooms and and earbuds of of people, and it's 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 been great for somebody like me. Whether COVID happened or not, I'm not in Japan right now, so I can't go listen to DakuGo every day like I would like to. There's been a, a, a huge rise in, in people performing online, and that's been a great resource to us. Will it stay? Um, well, if they keep those uh, videos up on YouTube, they will continue uh, to be there, and we could use those as resources uh, for research or just simply for our entertainment. Um, once COVID we're able to move about freely and we don't have to worry about COVID. I don't think that, um, there will be a huge change to the art. I think that performers will continue to, uh, uh, perform Go Live because it's a live art. It's an art that isn't meant to be recorded. It's, it's not meant to be preserved on DVDs or CDs or YouTube for that. It's, it's an art for the moment. Each performer changes on any given day, depending on how they feel, depending on the weather. Every story. Now, Iria, you could listen to that story a hundred times, and I guarantee you, it'll be different a hundred times. Just because every given telling, the storyteller has a different approach and a different audience. And that story is gauged on how the audience feels on their response, and if they're feeling a certain way, that's the nakugoka's job. And that's why you often see in in the Nakagoka halls, the lights are left on in the audience, because the storyteller needs to see the audience and how they're responding. If there's somebody in the audience falling asleep, they've got to pick up the pace and try to win that, bring them out of their slumber. If people are a little bit too rambunctious, they might want to back off a bit. Um, but I guess in short, I don't think that there's going to be a, a major change. I think that people are going to be more savvy uh, with, with technology and they could um, maybe promote their Dakugo better. But the real Dakugo, the real Kamigata Dakugo, is that performed live.
1: Well, that's a bit of a bummer, but uh, it, it makes complete sense since it relies so much on people to people interaction. I guess I'll just have to one day uh, actually go to a live performance and see it for myself.
0: Yes, that's, and that's what I, I write in the book is um, I was challenged quite a bit. Uh, some scholars challenged the, the, I guess, the uh, the import of studying something like rakugo because it's not purely literature. Um, and then some performers themselves said, well, why would you want to put rakugo, kamigata rakugo, in a book? Wouldn't it essentially kill the art? And so that's... I understand that there are um, challenges to presenting Dakugo on the page. Um, and that's why I urge people to, to read this book and learn more about Dakugo, but then go to Japan or go to um, local uh, shows that might be appearing, say in your, in your towns that are sponsored by the local consulate or whatnot, support Dakugo performers, listen to it live because that is is where it's at. And You will have a good time. Even if the Japanese is challenging, you people studying Japanese out there, uh, students, keep at it because um, it just keeps getting uh, funner.
1: Well, thank you so much for this uh, conversation. It has been really a lot of fun. I learned so much about Rakugo.
0: Yeah, the pleasure is mine. Any chance I can uh, talk about dakugo? I jump at it. So thanks for that, Jingyan. And thanks for all of the great work you're doing on these uh, podcasts. I'm enjoying them.
1: Well, I I hope one day maybe we will hear another episode from you uh, doing a live rakugo performance.
0: Okay, sounds good. Thanks.
1: So for our listeners to learn more about the history of Western-style rakugo, make sure you check out this new book by Dr. Matthew Shores, The Comic Storytelling of Western Japan, satire and social mobility in Kamigata Lakugo. I am Jin from New Books in Japanese Studies, and I will see you next time.